Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, I am so excited for this week's episode. This week, we get to hear from Dave Gregory, guitarist for XTC. Now, come on, they were one of the great alternative pop bands out of Britain in the late 70s through the 80s. So many great songs and albums. Always with a very quirky, unique take on popular music. They were always very individualistic, did things their way. Now, their primary songwriters, the two main guys, are Andy Partridge and Colin Moulding. They wrote all the songs. And Dave is refreshingly honest in this conversation about what it's like being in a band that is quirky and unique with big personalities. And as most people know, Andy, early on, had a bit of a mental break and he could no longer perform live. Never did it again. Now, think about that if you're Dave, okay? The other guys are writing the songs. You get a, you're in this band. You're committed to this band. You get a call from Andy. I've written new songs. Let's go into the studio. Let's record. And you do it. And you put your heart and soul into these great tracks, this great album. You're so proud. It's finished. And you go back home. And you sit on the couch. And you hang out. And you wait for Andy to call again. And about a year later, he does. I've got some new ideas. Let's go back in the studio. And you do it, and you put your heart and soul in another great album. It's so good, and you're proud of your work, and it's finished. And then you go back home, and you go back to the couch, and you wait for Andy to call again. And maybe a year later, he does it again, and you do it all over again. And that's what this cycle is like. That is not what being a rock star is all about. But that was his reality. Now, the other main kind of pillar in the XTC narrative is how horrible supposedly it was uh, for them to work with Todd Rundgren on their breakthrough album Skylarking in I think 86, 87. Dave debunks a lot of that. It was not so bad. In fact, he uses the great line in here, a gift from Todd. I kind of stepped on it in here, but it was so funny. I was so, I love that he said that. So that's interesting. It's a different perspective on the story we've been told a million times. Now, nowadays, Dave's primary musical focus is on a sort of progressive rock band called Big Big Train. They put out a new album this year. They are touring. What's interesting, though, is they're all sort of scattered all over the place. So they put their albums together and write their songs like in pieces. And I make the point in here, as, as I'm learning this from Dave, that he has never really had the true rock and roll experience of being in a band that goes out and plays shows, writes the songs together, makes an album in a studio, the whole experience. He's never really had that. I love XTC. I really love talking to Dave. He was so wonderful. He called me from his home in Swindon. Thanks for doing this with me. Oh, that's right. It's a pleasure. I've, I've been enjoying your... Uh... <laughs> If I had more time, I just wish I had more time to listen to more of the interviews because they're really entertaining. Oh, thank you. Thank well, you I think all the artists and musicians have got stories to tell. You know, I can't resist a, a biography and uh, it doesn't matter yeah. even whether I like the music or I like the band or the artist, Dang. whatever it is, they all have an interesting tale to tell. I totally agree. And I, and I, I mean, if you haven't figured out by now from listening to some of the other ones, I just, I feel like there's a whole chunk of music of artists that I love that I grew up on that I don't get to hear from because they weren't the, you know, the million sellers. They weren't, you know, in the public eye 
Right. And I think, well, I want to hear from them. You know, of course, they've yeah. got stories too. Me too. You know, yeah. So yeah, I, uh, all we ever hear about in this country are um, there's three bands we hear about all the time on TV and books and uh, radio interviews, whatever. That's Queen, Fleetwood Mac, and Pink Floyd, and it's like no other bands ever existed. No other musicians were important enough to make a, a television documentary about. Oh, I think that's so funny because yes, those are the bands that come to my mind too. It's like how many yeah. times do we have to hear about the making of rumors? Exactly. We all know what happened, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well good well thank you okay well good then you get it well so i uh i just wanted i thought i've been wanting to tell the xtc story for a while and, and hear from you and so i'm so grateful you're going to do this you know i've been a fan for almost 30, over 30 years now and um xtc are such a they hold such a sentimental spot in so many music fans hearts and uh, I want to get into some of the specifics on that in a minute, but I'm curious because you joined the band, I believe, on Drums and Wires, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. How did this happen? Did you know who they were? Oh, yes. Well, you know, growing up in Swindon, which is just, you know, everyone knows XTC are from Swindon, okay. which is just a little town yeah. in the West Country, just an ordinary provincial town. Uh, in the late 60s and uh, right through the 70s, it was, it was just a small railway town, really. Mm. And they, um, you know, nothing much ever happened. Had a small local music scene and all the musicians knew each other, pretty much, you know, of a generation uh -huh. anyway, you know. So, yes, I knew them. We didn't uh, we didn't attend the same schools, but I knew them from sort of meeting them at weekends in the local music shops and just playing okay. gigs around the town. So okay. we had a sort okay. of uh, a friendly rivalry, I suppose, because we were never in. Oh, uh, Andy, Andy, and Colin were in the Helium Kids. I was in uh, three or four bands that came and went along okay. the way, you know, and we kind of uh, existed in a, a sort of a parallel semi-pro okay. act. Okay. Was that a gig that, did they come to you or did you audition? Was that a gig that you really wanted or were to, like you were an admirer of their work or were you kind of looking for a job? What was happening there? Well, I was, um, when they, they got signed to Virgin Records in 1977, I was thinking, well, how fantastic. The first band from Swindon that had mm. ever gotten awarded a recording contract of any kind. There had been a number of solo artists, but not, uh, not a, an entire band. You know, they'd gone from being just this rather raggedy bunch of youngsters from, the, from this local council estate, <laughs> which was a pretty rough area of town. <laughs> Even by Swindon standards, it was rough. Mm. So for them to have gone, come from you know those roots 
to actually uh, be recognised on a national scale and to the point where they awarded this uh, recording contract. I thought it was just fantastic because they'd actually done so much work and they'd had a lot of mud thrown at them by local people who didn't really get what they were trying to do. You know, I'd sort of grown to recognise the fact that they were a lot more original than... You know, there was this original train of thought that that you couldn't pinpoint any direct influence on what they were doing. They just seemed to uh, invent a a style of playing that was entirely their own. And though it wasn't to everybody's taste at the time, I I just thought it was great. You know, I just thought, well, how Mm -hmm. fantastic. This uh, This is new wave music in the true sense of the word. Yeah. At the same time, yeah. I was—I think at the time I was playing sort of uh, blues and rock and just the sort of kind of semi-pro stuff that everybody does. Okay. okay. Uh, and I never imagined, as much as I admired them, I never imagined that they would invite me to join them. But uh, no. so uh, I think, yeah, I was out doing. <laughs> I was playing a country <laughs> and western gig one night, and my brother picked up the phone, and it's Andy Partridge on the phone. He was in Boston, of all places. Oh wow! And uh, he said to my brother, um, "Well, you know, Barry Andrews is just about to walk out of the band, and we're going to need to replace him. Pretty smartish. Do you think Dave would be interested?" <laughs> and he said, "I don't know. I'll ask him when he gets home." <laughs> so there's the difference. You got this new wave band on tour in America. Yeah. Calling yeah. uh, up on uh, calling for the services of a, a semi-pro country and western guitar. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. That's the golden moment right there. That's the call that changes your life. But it did, right? yes, absolutely, yeah. it did. Yeah, um, you mentioned a few times in there, you know, the band, what the band was trying to do, and people not quite understanding, and and the true meaning of new wave. I'm curious. I've always wondered this, actually. Was there a stated or declared aesthetic which within, because it was basically you, Andy, and Colin, you know, for the rest of the tenure for a while there, the three uh-huh. main guys. Did, yes. did you guys state, like, we're going to do our version of pop music and we're going to hope that people come to us? Or were you just doing what came naturally? I'm always curious when a band like yours that has such a unique, and creative aesthetic that's slightly off of traditional pop music. If you're doing your version of pop music and you're just thinking this is normal, or if you're trying to sort of, this is what we like and we hope you like what we like. That's pretty much it. You've summed it up there neatly because the thing was that to our advantage, we had two songwriters who were, well, first of all, Andy Partridge was, he still is, very original thinker. So basically he's the main creative source. And then Colin Moulding was always his sort of understudy, if you like. So Colin learned to play and write songs. Uh, You know, he he started writing songs as a result of, you know, working with Andy and listening to him and uh, getting encouraged by him in the early days. Uh, And they both sort of grew up as, um, I think Colin probably you know, looked up to Andy as an artist, as a writer, and, and sort of tried to sort of follow in his footsteps. I don't yeah. recall there ever being a set agenda. It was like Andy okay. just seemed to be writing songs in his sleep. There, mm. were just, there was never any shortage of material. You know, like so many bands yeah. break up for lack of inspiration or, uh, or lack of work or whatever it is, but there was, it was just like there was never any shortage of stuff to listen to and work on. And we just huh. fell into a pattern of... What's this new song about then, Andy? What can we do? And we do? In the early days, we would sit around, like every other band, in a garage, yeah. working on the songs, throwing ideas around with cassette recorders. We could take away, 
listen to overnight, come back the next day. Yeah. Well, I've thought of this for this part. This this might work here, blah, blah, uh-huh. blah. And we just uh-huh. carry on throwing ideas at each other. But as I say, there was no real... Although Andy always had a, a reasonably firm idea of how he wanted the, the song to sound, he, he mm-hmm. wasn't too dictatorial in the early days. Oh, it was good. Kind of, it was much more of a group effort. Okay, I've always wondered about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I think that as time went on, a bit of a reputation. As yeah, a as time bit. went on, that, that situation did alter slightly. Okay, <laughs> but, I was going to say. You know, <laughs> but, but yeah, when, I, would, I think, uh, yeah, we've heard otherwise. Okay, yeah. good, good. But okay. we never, uh, no, there was no, um, we didn't deliberately, deliberately set out to be <clears throat> different from everybody else. We, we okay. uh, you know, the, the guy brought the songs in and, and uh-huh. we followed our instincts. Okay. Having come to the party a little bit later, were you on board with this? Does, does XTC's music fit in with your uh, sensibility as well? Or were you, like you were mentioning playing in a blues band, are you at heart, and now you're more in Prague, uh, you know, with Big Big Train, which I want to talk to you about later, but uh, your style seems to be kind of all over the place. Are you sort of okay with whatever? I was okay with whatever. Some of the things he had me playing in the early days, I really had to query his sanity sometimes, you know. But it was, like, for example, one of the first things we learned to play together was some, a little instrumental called Homo Safari. Were you comfortable no. 
sort of no i was never i never i never really had any ambitions to be a songwriter mainly after okay. you know it's like all the songs that i ended up getting through and finishing of my of, of my own quote unquote ended uh-huh. up being rewrites of other songs so i oh. decided that uh, oh my goodness yeah you're right that's exactly what i've done i've been channeling <laughs> You know, whoever it <laughs> you might be. You felt like you stumbled on something really good, and it turned yeah, out. Yeah, and then after a week of working at it, I just realized I wasted a week of my time. So um, <laughs> I figured that if God had meant me to be a songwriter, he'd at least send me right. a few original ideas. So I was right. quite happy to be sideman, multi-instrumentalist, keyboards, guitars, whatever you've got. Uh-huh. Let's create some music with, with the skills that I've got. And Andy and Colin also, you know, they all, we all pitched in arrangement ideas. Some okay. of the more elaborate stuff like string arranging and playing keyboards with two hands as opposed to one finger, mm. that was down to mm-hmm. me. But, okay. um, <laughs> you know, uh, I suppose I no. could have been difficult and insisted on a co-write here and there, but uh, yeah. I figured to, to keep the peace, to keep the music sure. coming and uh, not get in the way of, of the creative pair, as we called them. Okay. <laughs> Terry and yeah. I called the, Andy and Colin the creative two. So right. they, uh, we, right. we let them get on with it and... Um, uh, uh, just, just for the sake of the music, really. Sure. Okay. Okay. So you got to tell me what was your reaction when Andy could no longer perform live? I mean, at the time when people were still buying a lot of records, and you could make a lot, of, you could make a living selling, you know, records to uh, in the stores. That prob- that may or may not have seemed like such a big deal. But of course, nowadays, if a, if an artist isn't going to tour, they're not going to make any money at all. That's so right. what was your reaction when you've just joined this band and they're hot and Andy has a bit of a breakdown and it affects the rest of your recording career with them? Yeah, well, we had been actually, since I joined the band, it, our feet hadn't really touched the ground. We were working solidly mm-hmm. for three years. If we weren't okay. on the road, we were we were at home. Andy and Colin would be writing, we'd be rehearsing or recording, and as soon as the record was finished, we'd be out on tour again. So it had yeah. become a, a treadmill. I was quite happy to... I thought what would happen is we'd take uh, maybe the rest of 82 off and then, uh, you know, regroup again in 1983 and think more seriously about going back on the uh-huh. road. I was I was convinced that uh, Andy would change his mind and he'd get the bug back again, but that never sure. happened. It did make me think, well, what am I going to do for the rest of yeah. my career with this band? You know, because if we're not right. going to work, there's very little I can do not being a songwriter. And incidentally... Yeah. History had already proven on more than one occasion that the quickest way out of XTC was to bring songs to the table. So I was <laughs> definitely not going to interfere with that. So I'm sitting around at home thinking, well, I've got to wait until Andy decides when we're going to make another record, basically. So okay. I was disappointed that he didn't want to work. And, of course, the record company, again, they, they didn't like that at all. Uh, yeah. They'd been very supportive up to that point. And then when they re- realized that the band wasn't going to quote-unquote, work again. Yeah, uh, yeah. They kind of pulled the, pulled the plug on the budget and um, wouldn't promote the records. And They said, sure. well, you can carry on making albums. We'll give you your advances. You can make your records, but we're not going to do more than the bare minimum yeah. to promote them. Well, you kind of can't blame them. You know what I no, mean? No, that's, I mean, that's absolutely not. Record labels get a bad rap on here a lot because of the way they treat... Because I'm always talking to some of the more smaller artists who a lot of them got screwed in the deal somewhere, you know? There's always some political inside label problem that's affecting their career, but you can't really blame a label for saying, well, we're only, if you're only going to do half the work, which is the 
the records versus the shows, we're only uh-huh. going to do half the work of promoting you. you exactly know? that, yes. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, I think because um, Andy... He's he's never been motivated by money. He's never he's not yeah. like he doesn't have that kind of need in him to, to go out and uh, make as much money as he can and uh, okay. uh, and and just work and work until he's, he's made his million or whatever it is. He's, yeah. That's not the sort of person he is. So the fact that we were losing money by not working and by not having full support of the record company didn't really matter to him. He was mm-hmm. quite happy to be in a safe place where he could sit and create quietly and then go yeah. into a studio where it was, uh, you know, cut off from the, yeah. from the nasty outside world. Um, sure. We could make, make our records in peace. <laughs> but That's it very was, Brian um, Wilson of him. Yeah, exactly, know? exactly the same yeah. thing, really. Do you remember the moment when he, because I think if I remember right, he had some kind of a breakdown at a show in L.A. or something. Do you remember this actually happening? Does it, oh, yes. does it feel like as big a deal then as it seems to have become in, you know, lore after the fact? We didn't really appreciate at the time how serious it was. First time it happened mm. was uh, we were on the we were promoting English settlement in the early months of 1982, and we were playing yeah. in Europe. We'd done a tour of Europe, best tour we'd ever done in terms of audience reaction, because uh-huh. Europe was always a bit difficult for us, and uh-huh. uh, they would loved us. It was almost like Beatlemania, you know, at least oh, compared wow. with what we've been used to. Uh, uh-huh. We got to Paris, um, this little theatre in Montmartre, and uh, it was sold out, you know. It was, it was full of these, wow. uh, the French notoriously fickle people in terms of, you know, audiences. <laughs> you can never, a bit uh-huh. like Glasgow, Glasgow sure. in Scotland, similar sort of thing. They either hate you or they love you. So for once, we had a full house and they were all, you know, they just, they were, they welcomed us with open arms. And we got yeah. uh, a song or two into the set and, uh, and he just put his guitar down and, and walked off stage. And mm. we looked around at each other and thought, what's gone wrong? What's happened? So we thought perhaps he'd uh, felt ill, he'd eaten something and was going, he needed mm-hmm. to vomit, or perhaps that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we found him sitting on a chair in the dressing room on the edge of tears, and he says, mm-hmm. I can't do it, I cannot do it. So we sort of looked at each other and thought, well, this is a fine time to be <laughs> wow. having a breakdown. You know, so, but we yeah. didn't really uh, we'd take it that seriously, to be honest with you. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, maybe because Andy was always uh, very quick to complain and uh and moan really? about being okay. too being, yeah. working too hard and not having enough time off which was true we didn't sure. have enough time yeah had um, he shown had performing up to that point always been a struggle or was it a like a break or something snapped all of a sudden that was never to get to be repaired i think that's what happened yeah i think it was really because mm. he, he no one loves an audience more than andy partridge believe me really? he was uh okay. you know it's, if he's he's got um, a group of people in front of him, you'll do whatever it takes to be yeah. the center of attention, you know? That's, sure. He's a natural entertainer on and off the stage. Sure. You know, he kept us yeah. amused on the road and, in, in, you know, these long journeys in minibuses and everything. He was uh, constantly entertaining. But yeah. I guess you're right, something just broke mm-hmm. and he just decided he couldn't do it anymore. I've always wondered how it is that somebody with that kind of an affliction is able to perform for the camera for videos which to me i would be way more self-conscious lip-syncing you know mayor of simpleton mm-hmm. in front of a camera with you know six people in the room filming me than i would performing live in front of a rapt audience but I, yeah. maybe that's just my personality you know what i mean i don't 
I no, I totally get what you. Yes, no, I, un- yeah. I fully understand what you're saying. And then you know, but you say that, and I've seen some of our videos, and I've noticed that Andy does. Um, he does look a bit self-conscious. You know, I can really? tell that he's huh. not entirely okay. comfortable in front of the camera when he's being asked to uh, perf- perform. Uh, okay. Or some of the top of the pop shows we did in, in uh, on BBC yeah. television in the eighties. He, he looks a little bit uneasy. And yet, you know, like I say, before all this happened on stage, I don't think I've ever seen, certainly not worked with anyone who worked harder on stage because he used to come off stage drenched in his own sweat. Uh, He shouted himself hoarse and he never let up from the moment he stepped on the stage until, you know, we walked off after the encores. He would have given 110%. Okay. So to have suddenly gone from that into this rather, um, you know, frightened individual. Sure. It, it, was, it was quite uh, wow. quite a shock. Yeah, that is a shock. So how are you feeling? I mean, so you, you kind of touched on this a little bit. You're not, you're in a band that's successful, but you're not performing, and you personally are not writing songs. You're sort of at their beck and call in a yes. way, right? I mean, I, I mean, I don't, that's not a criticism of you or your talent in any way, but you're sort of in this relationship where you're reliant on other people to, keep you busy and give you, you know, an opportunity to shine. How are you feeling when you're sitting in your flat and you're waiting for your bandmates to write songs so you can record an album and that's the end of that album? Yeah. How are you feeling during this period? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a bizarre... I mean, the thing is, it's like... I suppose there's a, a, a... You could say, at least having finished the album, we then didn't have to go out on the road and flog it to death. We could still look mm. back on those songs with some affection, having not... Okay. Uh, I mean, it's like, for example, Black Sea, which I always liked. As a, I loved that album, but we toured yeah, yeah. The, the ass off it, you know, and it just, we just, uh-huh. the tour just went on and on and on uh, to the point where, for years, I couldn't listen to the record because it was just, oh, uh, <laughs> it was just kind of yeah. a, a bit sort of too familiar. And okay. so um, there was that aspect. But again, you know, there would be other times when I'd be thinking, these are such great songs now. You know, we'd be at the the Big Express, for example, when we finished that. We've got all these new songs. We've got like six, seven albums now under our belts. We could Uh cherry pick the best of these every from all of these albums right throughout our career and put on the best show we could could possibly put on. It would be so great. But I couldn't allow myself to get too excited about that because I knew it was going to happen, you know? Yeah, that's too bad. When you were when you guys were out there kind of slogging away prior to sky sparking, mm-hmm. was there a were you making efforts to break America? I mean, I don't of course I I I always feel bad when I talk to some of my UK guests because being in the states, I only really I come at their their careers from a states perspective and I sometimes don't know all the details of how big things got back home in the UK. But I know for us, you know, unless you were paying close attention to college radio, you weren't likely to hear XTC very often until no. Dear God and Skylarking came out. And then that kind of caused new fans to go back. I know that's what happened to me. But were there efforts where you kind of sitting at home thinking, why are they not playing Making Plans for Nigel on pop radio? Or maybe they were. I don't know. Well, they, they sort of were. Yes, that was our biggest hit at the time.
be happy, he must be happy, he must be happy in his world.
kind of benchmarks of, of unfortunate stuff in the XTC history. But <laughs> before that, uh, on Drums and Wires, working with Steve Lillywhite, he's one of my favorite producers ever. Uh-huh. And I'm curious what your experience with Steve Lillywhite was. Oh, we had a great relationship. He was there on my first recording session with the band, and uh, I, we did two albums, uh, you know, we did Drums and Wires and Black Sea with Steve, uh, and a bunch of singles, uh, singles that were taken, yes, mainly from the albums, admittedly. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, he's a very, very upbeat, friendly, happy fellow, got everyone in a good mood, got everyone in a mood for making a record. He got good. the band's okay. humour, you know, and uh, he also had this um, engineer, Hugh Padgham, who went on to create sure. a huge name for himself later on. Yeah. So they were a great team, those two guys. It was just like a little family, you know. The album, I think, Drums and Wires took three weeks to make. Black Sea, I think, mm-hmm. took even longer, uh, maybe four mm-hmm. weeks. So we... The relationship never got stale. Uh, we didn't fall out. We yes. were, you know, they they were, and, and Steve had a great ear for a hit song. You know, he knew what, yeah. what singles were. And he knew how to um, how to produce a, a forty-five, and mm-hmm. uh, it was it was a great uh, a great little marriage really. Good. I really I, I I I totally enjoyed working with him, and on the few occasions Good. I've seen him since, we're still friendly. You know, that's great. His imprint is so uh, definitive on albums of, you know, like U2 and uh, Big Country is a big yes. one. And he, you just, you know, the Steve Lillywhite sound when you hear it, because he just has a way of like with Simple Minds or something, recording drums and just making everything sound so powerful. I don't necessarily feel like he lathered his imprint all over those two albums of yours. I think he, it sounds like he let you guys be yourselves. So I just was curious if, if you if it was a pleasurable experience, if you felt like the the albums turned out how you wanted them to, if you're happy with the way they sound, sounds like you are. Yes, oh, very much so. I mean, drums and wires, for example, we, there wasn't time to um, you know produce something that was um, larger than life. You know, it was just yeah. basically we were thoroughly rehearsed. We'd done a short tour just to work me in, as it were, you know, and then uh, sure. Andy and Colin had a bunch of songs, more than enough for an album. Uh, and they were really, we just went in and played, I think we were basically averaging 
two or three basic tracks a day. So uh, mm. that was kind of, it wasn't enough time to fuss around with them. It was a question of just, okay. uh, let's take a photograph of the band as they are today yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then do the best mix we can. And that's that's pretty much all there was time to do. And, uh, and to yeah. his credit, you know, Steve, uh, with Hugh's help, I know Andy was very insistent on getting the drum sound right. Uh, he wanted uh, this, uh, well, there's, there's this famous story about Phil Collins in the air tonight, the big drum fill on that, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. uh, sort of basically has paid his mortgage and his pension and his alimony for ever since. <laughs> sure has. Just right? one drum break, two bars long, you know, it's just like uh -huh. amazing. But that all amazing. started from, because it was, it was recorded in the same room that we did Drums and Wires in, and uh, oh, Andy, I remember, I remember Andy saying to Hugh Padgett, just before he started mixing, Hugh, I want these drums bigger than anything you've ever heard before, you know, it's got to be big on them, uh -huh. massive. So Hugh devised this means of uh, erecting microphones in, up in the ceiling of this stone room oh, wow. and then wow. uh, gating them off quickly and uh, that's it sort of doubles the size of the drums but it was really the sign of this little room that was it was lined with uh, br um, sort of uh, Cotswold stone from what I remember of it it was mm. uh, stone walls and a, and, a, and a timber floor and, and a glass door and uh, if you hit a drum in there really I mean you really you you could really hear it You know, you saying this about, you know, we're talking about how great the drums sound. Is there a, I know people don't like asking, answering the question what their favorite song is, but is there an XTC song that you feel showcases you the best? Is there a Ooh. song you're most proud of your personal performance on? Maybe, maybe if you played well, or maybe you had something to do with the arrangement that turned out really well. What's, what's a song like that for you? I suppose the, the one I'd, I would say that I had the most involvement in would be A Thousand Umbrellas, which was a string quartet oh. arrangement that I did on the Skylarking album. And uh -huh. that was something that we'd never done. You know, we'd never done a, the, the Eleanor Rigby song. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, that was kind of the first time. I just got a, a, a synthesizer that had a built-in sequencer. 
and mm-hmm. I loved the idea of the sequence. I thought, well, you can, you can really work with this, with the MIDI yeah. capability and everything. You just assign an instrument to each of these channels, and you can build a little orchestra and have the machine play it for you. You don't have to have any technique, uh-huh. just program the machine to do it. And I had this Roland, I think it's called the MSQ100, uh, a sequencer thing that I hooked up to this synthesizer. And so I had the fi- first violins on one channel, second violins on the other, viola on a third, and the cello on the f- on the fourth channel. And I thought, yeah, I can, I can probably decorate this rather miserable little song of Andy's. Yeah. See what he thinks about it. Because <laughs> he had this sort of, you know, you know the song. It's rather a dour sure. kind of uh, uh-huh. dreary song. Uh, all these descending chromatic chords and then this uh, very miserable whole tone scale thing in the middle. It was a really, uh, it was meant to be a, a sad, miserable song. But uh-huh. I, we can we can decorate this and cheer it up a bit, maybe, and uh, Eleanor will be it up. So I, yeah. anyway, I did a demo at home, and uh, I said to me, so, oh, yeah, I actually quite like this song now. Tell you what, do this. Can you can you do some, some more fiddly stuff? And uh, it basically, we went through about 10 or 11 drafts before he was happy okay. with it. But sure. that was the one I worked longest and hardest on. Okay. So I would say, even though I didn't actually, I don't think I played actually on the record. I might have done some piano, but I think I just scored the strings and watched the, watched okay. the musicians play. Oh, interesting. So I, I assume, I mean, let's talk about Skylarking. I assume Todd Rundgren was okay with your, with your um, contributions to this song as well. I mean, the story, as you know, is always that he's the overlord and it's his vision and no one else is contributing. You have to get back and let him do his thing. Um, that's, of course, the story in relation to you guys and the production of Skylarking. But it sounds like he was happy with your contribution as well, I take it. Well, he um, when uh, he'd already decided the running order of the album before we mm. before we even mm. left England, he rejected a thousand umbrellas because. Uh, but then he hadn't. He all he'd heard was Andy's acoustic guitar demo. Uh. He must have thought it was really miserable as well. So mm. I was a bit disappointed about that. But then um, I had my I had the full demo with the strings on it. So I gave it to Todd and said, "Well, look, I've done this." Do you think there's room for this? And uh, having heard yeah. it, he then changed his mind, thank goodness. Okay. Uh, but cool. to be fair to Todd, you know, he wasn't the dictator that everyone has him down as, you know. He let us oh. do what we wanted to do. We had the songs rehearsed before we came over, you know. We'd, we'd, we'd spent uh-huh. time rehearsing the songs. But he, what, what he did that was great was when we got into a corner, he'd always find a way of getting us out of that corner. You know, if he mm-hmm. got stuck at any mm-hmm. point... He was a little bit vicious with the editing, which was fine because, you know, yeah. he knew when a song had out, outstayed its welcome. Sure. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what, uh, what what Andy might have been a little bit upset about. Maybe. Maybe having some of his songs um, chopped about. But I've basically, uh, the biggest contribution I think he did was the, the, the string arrangements and orchestral arrangements that he did on, on a number of the okay. songs, which, yeah. uh, which were quite brilliant, you know, I have to say. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, um, a man who sailed around his soul, we would never in a million years have come up with that idea, you know, the, the James no. Bond, uh, the, the spy theme yeah. thing. A man who sailed around his soul from east to west, from pole to pole, with eager as his drunken captain greed, the mutineer had trapped all reason in the hole. A man who Across his heart, he took no compass, guide, or chart to rope and tar. 
And Sacrificial yes. Bonfire, you know, that wonderful string arrangement on that was just, mm -hmm. uh, that would have been beyond me. So it sounds like it was the the conflict was more on Andy's side maybe than on yours. Is that true for Colin too? Was yeah, it a miserable uh, experience? Not at all. Not album? at all. Oh, okay. No, it was not oh, the miserable experience that uh, it, it's reputed to to, to to have been. Colin okay. and I, and and Andy for that matter, most of the time we all got on fine. But there would Good. be times when an argument would ensue. And mm -hmm. Andy would always have to win the argument regardless. And I think Todd sure. probably has a similar mindset as well. Yeah, <laughs> so you have this movable object. Similar personalities. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yes, it was just personalities. Yeah. Personalities and big egos. Okay. I've always wondered if, you know, because most people, right or wrong, consider that to be XTC's kind of shining moment, you know. And I know because everyone is also therefore aware of the drama behind the scenes, I've always wondered if that was a – like a if the if the, if it's a bittersweet thing or a sort of sour note, like I, I'm not comfortable with the album most people love of ours the most being the one that I have the hardest time swallowing because of the experience of making it. You know, ah, yes, but it sounds yes. like you're okay with that. Oh, absolutely! No, I enjoyed every okay, minute yeah. of it. Believe me, yeah. I I I I wouldn't have 
to have worked with a, a hero like Todd Rundgren, yeah, that's a dream come true. It really is. Cool. And so, okay. and, to, and then to have a record that was a hit and that actually saved our career yeah. because it finally yeah. we were selling records in the states, and uh, that's the reason I'm talking to you now because it could all have <laughs> just fallen apart, and we could have been just forgotten about in 1987. Yeah. You know, no, no more music from XTC because yeah. I think the, the the writing was on the wall from Virgin Records in the UK. You know, if we didn't start selling records. Might be time to um, you know mm-hmm. change change labels. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. See, this is why I like having these conversations because they kind of it debunks the urban legend. You know what I mean? There's so well, I wouldn't want to uh, about how bad this is. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. It was uh, Andy. Uh, he, I think he's probably the most hurt because, it, of course, yeah. it's his work that was being tampered with as he put, as he saw it, sure. and he just failed to see. Uh, the good that Todd... I mean, for example, uh, the little kid singing the opening verse of Dear God, I don't know how many uh, people's attention that drew, but it must have been thousands. Dear God, hope you got the letter and I pray you can make it better down here I don't need a big reduction in the price of beer But all the people that you may know in Starving on their feet Cause they don't get enough to eat from To have that on the, um, you know, as, as the first single off the album, and MTV put put it on their, uh, yeah, on the playlist. That's uh-huh. uh, that was a gift, a gift from Todd. And so, uh, you know, oh really? Was that Todd's idea? It was the whole thing was Todd's idea to put the kid on the, oh, wow. on the opening verse. Yes, it would you never know, have um, occurred to us. I was sitting with my son, who's four years old. And uh, I was listening to Skylarking in the background while I was working, and he was sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. And that, and Dear God came on, and he stops and he looks at me and he says, "Dad, is this a is this a little boy singing this song?" And uh, I just thought how interesting it was that he's four and he's, you know, something broke him out of his focusing on toys or video games or coloring uh-huh. or whatever it was that he did to <laughs> stop and think. Wow, there's a, you can put a little kid on a rock song. You know there what I mean? There you go. Just, That's it. The, it passes. It gets passed on through generations, and of I, course. Just, I find stuff like that really amazing. So, but you know that's the, the, you, exactly it's because it's the indoor for a lot of people. You know that just something yes. as simple as that will draw attention, and they say, "Well, what, right. what else is on this record?" You know, exactly. maybe we should buy a copy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's the that's how it works. It's just amazing. Okay, so then, uh, you know, and then uh, Oranges and Lemons, I know this probably isn't the most um, uh, popular opinion, but that I think is probably my favorite XTC album because that's the one that I I got turned on to you by Skylarking. 
And I bought Skylarking at the time, and I didn't quite get it. I was only mm-hmm. 13 years old, so I didn't quite understand. Everything didn't sound like Fear God did, and I was confused. Right. But then uh, Oranges and Lemons comes out, and I buy that one immediately, and it's so varied. It's everything you could – and some people criticize it because it's a little bit of everything in one album. But that's why yeah. I liked it. And so uh, that one, I have to admit, I think it's probably my favorite. I, there's not even a question there other than just to tell you how much I love Oranges and Lemons. You know, yeah. that was, uh, in, contra- uh, in contrast to Drums and Wires, for example, you know, we spent five months working on that record. Uh, that's you in did. the studio. That was, that was even, you know, even after we'd spent the weeks we'd spent rehearsing. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, that's why there's so much diversity on it, you know, because yeah. we were able to, uh, we had the time to experiment and stretch ourselves. Uh, again, it was a great experience just working in Los Angeles, just staying in, in mm-hmm. for the whole of the summer of 1988. You know, we were just just staying in Hollywood and making a yeah. record. What could be better? You yeah. know, it's a dream come true, oh. another dream come true. And well, the fact and you were that finally, it, um, you had power by that point, right? Because you had just gotten popular. So now you have the power to spend five months. Exactly. In the studio making your next album, yeah. Yes, well, I mean, one, one reason we were able to spend that long was that Paul Fox, God bless him, who produced the record, his manager owned the studio, and he was able to mm. cut us a, a really nice, sweet deal. So we, we ended up probably paying half the amount of money in studio costs right. than we otherwise might okay. have done had we gone to a major studio. But okay. you know, we did the uh, we did the drum tracks at Ocean Way. We spent two or three weeks down there. Got some great drum tracks from Pat Bastolotto, and then everything was carted up at sunset to to Suma and on um, uh, 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 on, on the strip there. And we spent the rest of the time just overdubbing and singing. Uh, it's just uh, fantastic, yeah. you know. So okay, so while this is going on, along the way, there's occasional uh, appearances from the Dukes of Stratosphere. And this is now people. I, I assume most XTC know, fans know who this, is, what this is, but it's basically your psychedelic rock side project, correct? Yes.
what, what was the did you not feel like you could do that in an XTC record, or was it just more fun to take on a new, a different persona and be different? What was the thinking there? Yeah, it was just a bit of fun, and the story, um, and it, it, well, the story is, as I, and I've told it many times, was that uh, before I joined the band, way back in 1978, um, in at the end of 1978, when Go To, which was the second album that mm-hmm. XTC released. Andy had a little playback party at his flat for a few friends, and we all got up there and uh, had to listen to the album and had a few beers and all got very merry. And then at the end of the mm-hmm. evening, Andy put, to, put me to one side and he said, Greg, come here, mate. Just what if, what if we, uh, how would you feel about doing a little EP with me, a psychedelic EP? I said, you have to remember this is the this is the height of punk or post punk. Uh-huh. It's the end of 1978. That is the most unfashionable, least likely musical <laughs> proposition anyone could 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 put to right. put to anybody. So yeah. I kind of humoured him and I said, "Oh, well, yeah, I'll see if you can still get batteries for my fuzz box. I'll see, I, you know just give us a call when you've got time and I'll give it some. Uh-huh. Food. Yeah, nice one, man." <laughs> So I didn't really take it that seriously. But he'd already had the the idea for this psychedelic revival that early. Well, they were so busy and and the moment passed. And then um, a year or so later, I joined the band and we just carried on working. And uh, then I think uh, it was early, it was just about the time that uh, English Settlement was released. We heard this record by um, a British guy called Nick Nicely. And it was called uh, Hilly Fields, Hilly Fields, okay. 1892. If you can find a copy, it's a really, really great record. just okay. had all the ingredients that we'd forgotten all about from our school days, all the psychedelic silliness was just crammed into this little 45 and we were just uh, stunned by it. We said, we've got to do this EP, we've got to do it. But it took, you know, another two, two and a half years for us to get our act together and, uh, mm. and do it. But basically that was the catalyst, that was the thing that finally got, jerked Andy back into this uh, idea okay. of recording the psychedelic EP. Andy called up John Leckie. He was supposed to have been working with John Leckie, the producer, the guy who'd done the first two XTC albums, mm-hmm. on uh, a project for um, a Canadian artist that had fallen through at the last minute. So they found themselves before Christmas of 84 with some spare time. And he thought, right, we've got two weeks. We could do an EP in two weeks. Uh, I've got some songs. Um, we'll do, uh, we, can do, we can do this thing. We'll call ourselves the Dukes of Stratosphere. We need a drummer. Who do we know? 
well, my brother Ian plays drums. That'll do. Bring him in. <laughs> so we went to this little studio in Hereford that John Leckie had found and uh, spent a week recording these six tracks. Most fun I've ever had in the studio. It's just really? Amazing. Yeah. Mainly, wow. again, down to the, the, the silliness of the songs and sure. the fact that they were proper songs. They were, they were properly proper written songs, but there was yeah. silliness... And uh, John Leckie, who had sort of come up from Abbey Road, he left school and gone mm-hmm. to Abbey to work as an apprentice at, or a trainee, I should say, at Abbey Road. He knew exactly what we were looking for, right. and he uh, he was able to just conjure the conjure the sound oh, out of the air, you know. So again, we were so lucky. Uh, we got the record finished in I think it cost less than five thousand pounds to make. Wow. And um, we took it to the record company, and because uh, they 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 thought we were mad, you know, they couldn't see what what was going on. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> as soon as the as soon as uh, Simon Draper heard it, he, he flipped and he called the, all the all the office staff were brought into his office to listen to this EP apparently, and uh, uh-huh. loved it. And they were wow. totally totally behind it, you know. Was and the plan it actually, always to call yourself something different? I think so, yeah, because I think Andy yeah, was okay. a little bit, uh, he just wasn't sure whether, you know, people, sure. if it came out as XTC, it wouldn't, um, you know, it might affect the band's career in the long run. Yeah. In fact, it helped us, because it, that, that little EP outsold the previous two albums. Oh, <laughs> and, it, and it cost yeah. like a fraction of the of the amount right. of money to record. <laughs> but right. I think, you know, in a way, it kind of... Uh, liberated us from a sort of um, a mindset, you know, that we had to be mm-hmm. current, we had to make a record that was, uh, um, you know, sounded similar to what everyone else was doing. Yeah, yeah. Get this out of your system, there's no yeah. expectations, right? That, so you can just right, go in exactly. and We just went in and perform. did what we felt. Yes. Right, exactly. Okay. I want to hear some of your favorite best stories, but for but to wrap up the XTC portion of your career, what is the state of the relationships with everyone now? Because when I read into it, it looks like sometimes two guys like each other and the third doesn't, and then sometimes those guys make up and the third guy's out of the I – I mean, I can't keep straight with how the – it just seems like there's a lot of drama. What is the current state of you guys? Are you at least friendly? I mean, I think we all know that XTC is not going to record any more music, but are you at least friendly with each other or – well, you know, today? I haven't seen uh, Andy Partridge to talk to for about eight years, but we do have oh. a reasonably civil, lowercase uh, uh, exchange of uh, emails nowadays. Okay. So okay. that's good. Plus the fact that, um, to his credit, Andy has been putting a lot of money into remastering the catalog. He's been able to get mm-hmm. the rights from Virgin Records to release um, 5.1 uh, versions of, uh, of, the, of the albums on his own label, Ape House. And okay. um, it costs a lot of money to do this. We've all been helping out with liner notes and mm-hmm. photographs and anything we can do. Basically, he's enlisted uh, Stephen Wilson to remix mm-hmm. and, and do new stereo mixes as well. And Stephen, being such a big fan, has been more than happy to do that. Yeah. And uh, to his credit, Andy's paid us. You know, we get a, a decent Good. royalty. So uh, he's he's kept his promise. Uh, he's doing the band a lot of good by getting this stuff out there because for the first time ever, he's happy with the packaging. He feels it's a value-for-money product, product at last. 
and now you've got the 5.1 surround mix for those with the hi-fi systems, you know, the, the cinema surround, whatever it right. is, who, who want that sort of stuff. Personally, right. I'm, I've, I've, I've had enough of formats. I'm, I just want, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm happy with mono, really. Uh, right. Stereo at a pinch. But, uh, you know, right. this 5.1 thing, you know, you can have that. But uh, as yeah. I say, we are actually, um, we, we do have a civil uh, exchange of uh, emails nowadays, I'm happy okay. to say. Okay, and good. also, um, Terry Chambers, our original drummer, has just returned to England from Australia, where he went to live 30 years ago. Okay. And he's back in Swindon. And we've had a very enjoyable uh, meet-up with him and uh, catching up on good. his news and his stories and everything. So that's... Uh, he, he's uh, he's made a, a, a it's just sort of okay completed the circle in a, in a funny sort yeah. of way. Yeah, it's Colin. I I think I read somewhere he doesn't even perform music anymore. Has well, no he, interest in music anymore. No, that's not true. Um, he's okay. been writing songs. He's actually been recording with Terry. They've been done, oh. I understand they've done an EP together uh, that has just been mixed. I don't know whether it's coming oh, out or whether it'll be ca- coming out as a download or what. I don't know what their plans are because I'm not actually in touch okay. with Colin. But okay. um, we, uh, you know, it won't be XTC, let's put it that way. Okay. It's sad. Obviously, your fans wish that this wasn't the case. But... Um, as long as there's a civil business relationship happening, I guess that's no one's getting screwed or anything, so that's good. Right. Um, so now let's talk about Big Big Train, because uh-huh. is this your full-time focus and gig at this point in your life, Big Big Train? Well, it's certainly occupying a lot of my time, because they just keep writing songs. I can't <laughs> stop them writing. <laughs> Um, and the songs are always like 12, 15 minutes long. So that's plenty of work. But it's so I was great, just you know. listening to the new album today, and yeah, there's three songs on there, I think, that are each between like 10 and 15 minutes yeah. long. Indeed, indeed. I mean, it's fantastic, you know, because what's great about it is that, again, I found myself with a band that's, for whom there's more than enough uh, new material. It's all really good quality stuff. They're great yeah. musicians. Uh, better still, they're great people. You know, they're real, they're mature, they're, they're, they, they, 
there's no silly ego battles. Everyone sure. likes one another. We really enjoy working together, even though we hardly ever see each other. You know, we don't work in the same room at the same time. Oh, really? Everything is, everyone works independently. <laughs> All the stuff gets phoned in, wow. and uh, wow. it's left to Rob Aubrey, the, the sound engineer, to... Um, uh-huh. Mix it all <laughs> when it's wow. when everything's there. He has to go through everything and sort out the wheat from the chaff, and somehow create a record from it. And he does a brilliant oh. job, I have to say. He's a really good job. Do you guys perform live? We're going to be. We did uh, our first concerts in in the summer of 2015. Um, they were just we, we we had three nights at a, a small venue in King's Cross in London, uh, which okay. sold out. You know, it was a little theatre seated about 450 people. Um, so then uh, we realised, having done that, that yeah, we can. This band is definitely a performing unit. We must do this again. But as you can imagine, uh-huh. with. Uh, eight people in the band and a five-piece brass band as well. That's a lot of schedules to uh, line up. Uh But we do actually, we're playing some more concerts at the end of September at the Cadogan Hall in London, which is twice the size of the King's Place. So, and they've, we've sold all the tickets for those three shows as well. So we're looking forward oh, to that very God. much. But, you know, rehearsals have already started, even though it's, it's May and the, and the shows aren't until the end of September. There is so much work to do. And we have, to, we yeah. have maybe a week at um, Real World Studios to, to work as a band. Prior to that, oh, everyone has to be completely on top of their parts and know exactly yeah. what they're going to be doing. There's huh. an awful lot of work to do over the next few months. It sounds like it. You know, you saying this about you've been in this. You're one of you're this highly respected musician. You've been at this for 40 years, and yet you have yet to really experience the full, true rock and roll band experience. It sounds like. <laughs> well, thank God for that. You know, I don't want drug. I don't want drug problems. I don't want to be, uh, you know, sent to prison by the tax man. You know, it's like all the miserable stuff that you you hear about uh, a lot of these so-called superstar musicians. You know, they 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 have terrible personal lives, really dreadful. Um, I'm very grateful for the fact that I'm able to uh, lead a reasonably normal life, doing what I want. I've always dreamt of doing, which is just making music for a living. I've been so lucky. I've never. never once taken it all for granted you know there have been times where I've thought yep I've only got another couple of months of this then I've got to go out and look for work or look for a proper job yeah right have you ever had to get a proper job well uh, uh, part time there was a time just prior to um, I mean before obviously yes before I joined the band yes I had a number of so called proper jobs which were horrible uh, and there was a, a brief period just before we recorded Oranges and Lemons where, yeah, things were very pretty, pretty tight for money and I had to take some mm. t- part-time work. But okay. I've been lucky enough that somebody or someone has... The phone has rung at just the right moment and it yeah. might be a tour or a recording session or or something will have happened just to, just to keep me afloat a few months longer until the next... Um, until the next big check comes in. Not there yeah. were that many big checks, but something would always turn up. Sure. You'll get there somehow. Yeah, That's exactly. That's great. You talk about recording sessions. I talked to um, Clark Datchler recently from Johnny Oh, H. did you? Jazz. Yeah. In fact, he, uh, his, his episode came out last week. And um, you, uh, you played on their comeback album, I believe, right? Magnetized from 2013? 
Well, now, I don't know whether I did or not. I did a solo uh-huh. record with Clark. Uh, oh, a is solo that it? album. Maybe that's yes. It. Okay. Yes, but it was never released. Okay. Because oh. he, uh, yes, well, I, I shouldn't really spill the beans on why it wasn't released. No, but, okay. um, but the fact is, um, you know, he, he spent he spent a lot of money on this record. He was so proud of it. I felt so sorry for him, you know, because uh, oh. the record company refused to put it out. But, oh, uh, yeah, sure. no, I, I always, um, I did a, a one session for Johnny Hates Jazz. That was a song called Let Me Change Your Mind Tonight. That's it, guitar yeah. And I can't remember the name of the album. Okay. And as a result of that, Clark invited me onto his uh, solo record because he he split from Johnny House Jazz to, to go yeah. solo, and uh, unfortunately it didn't didn't work out for him. But certainly, right. knowing that he's done an interview for you, I shall I shall uh, dial in and have a listen. Oh, good. Yeah, you. Um, I couldn't remember the exact specifics, but I remember your name came up just briefly as I was listing people that he had worked with that I liked, and I mentioned your name. Uh-huh. But yeah, he. Uh, it just came out last week. He was a really nice guy. Yeah. Oh, um, yes, he is. Yeah. Good. So you got to tell me some stories. I mean, you've you've had, as we just have established, you've had a very unique rock and roll career, more mm. insular than probably most people. I mean, you came up in British alternative music of the '80s is like my very favorite kind of music ever. But I'm imagining maybe you didn't get to know people like Morrissey or Adamant or. Kate Bush or something like that very well because you weren't out on tour with them, seeing them in clubs. But do you have, what are some of your favorite stories from that, from, well, your whole career, really? Well, this is, the, this is where it gets a bit embarrassing because as XTC as a band, we led a very normal, dull and boring yeah. life, you know, as individuals. <laughs> We just kind of we didn't do the yeah. rock and roll thing. Uh, we yeah. weren't we weren't very sociable. We didn't go to clubs. We didn't hang around. Um, you know, we didn't. We weren't photographed in all the right places. Mm-hmm. Mainly, mm-hmm. it was basically a geographical thing. You know, being so yeah. far from London and where everything was uh, supposed to be happen- happening. And um, and another thing was that be perfectly honest with you, there, there weren't that many bands that came up in the 80s who we even liked. You know, oh, we just really? find that um, 80s music wasn't really, you know, it was too synthesized, it was too mm-hmm. programmed, it was all, mm-hmm. you know, and plus, worse than that, there was this influx of 
accountants and managers who were dictating how mm. the music should be made. And which is and and I couldn't get sort of you know it was just like yeah. when you started get having record company. Um, well, yeah, sort of, you know, sidekicks coming down to the studio yeah. to listen. You know, yeah. in, the, in the past, it would just be, you might have the A&R man come down or uh, someone someone from the office might come come with some artwork. Or it would always be people that were part of the creative process. Not money men, not people who were had an agenda, you know, or, or right. listening out for the magic single that was going to tick any particular box. That's what right. I hated about what was happening in the 80s. And it's mm-hmm. unfortunately, it hasn't really gone back to, um, you know, I'd, I'd really, mm-hmm. really love, wish we could get back to a point where the musicians are in charge, mm-hmm. which is where Big Big Train is, and why mm. that, uh, in artistic terms, as far as I'm concerned, is way more successful than most of the stuff that I've worked in in a professional capacity. Good, And good. so, um, you know... Uh, uh, going back to your original question, though, there's very little scandal. There's very little, no, mm-hmm. no scurrilous stories. There's no real mm-hmm. bad, not terrible bad behaviour that I can think of. Um, so you know, you might have a rather boring show this week, uh, John. I don't. No, know. no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not possible. Uh, this has been great. No, I had a feeling. You know, as we've been talking, I I thought. You've you've just your experience was so different that it, and you really are. XTC was a thinking man's pop group, you know. Mm. It was not the top forty, made for top forty type stuff. So everything you're saying is it makes perfect sense to me. I'm not surprised by this at all. Mm-hmm. But yeah. okay, do you have then uh, any regrets? I mean, is there anything in your that you wish would have happened a little differently or? Um, I mean, it sounds like, if anything, you're in about the most the happiest place you could possibly be right, right now. I am, yes. This at, at this point in my life, yes, I've never been happier. Uh, both, uh, you know, uh, career-wise, personal-wise, per, uh, everything is just sort of, you know, I'm 64 years old. It's been a long time yeah. coming. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I can't, it would be really churlish of me to complain or regret anything because I've just, I, I have yeah. a brilliant life now and I'm just... Um, Thank my lucky stars I've, I've been able to get this far um, yeah. just enjoying myself, really. Good, um, good. There's, uh, you know, most of the things that I regret or have any regrets about are stuff that I had no control over um, sure. that I couldn't have changed if I'd wanted to. Um, and, uh, and I think probably the band tech, uh, XTC leaving the touring circuit, as it were, and not, not promoting uh-huh. itself harder, that, that probably would be a regret, but I couldn't do anything about it, you know. Yeah, that, didn't, that wasn't your decision. So. No. Okay. But then again, you know, we had a, a long enough career. We made, uh, I'm, oh. I'm trying to think how many albums we made when we came off the road, you know. You never yeah. know. It, 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 it might have just, uh, might have squabbled so much while, uh, you know, through tiredness oh. or lack of money or whatever it was, um, and, and decided to call it a day. So maybe yeah. coming off the road was a, was a good idea. Well, it cemented, I mean, you guys are legends, and it cemented that legacy for being, it almost feeds into the, you, again, I keep saying unique. XTC as a band were unique, the music is unique, and the story is unique. So it yeah. sort of just, it serves to build the legend that is XTC, you know. Mm-hmm. They survived and succeeded in spite of all of these, you know, perceived setbacks. Yes, that would have yes, kept any other band, you know would have just caused them to to go to pot. Anyway, 
Well, well I think the reason we have is the fact that, uh, as I say, we had a guy who didn't know how to stop writing songs. Right. And all right. those songs, whether you like them or not, were original. They were quite brilliant in their own way. And yeah. um, he just kept writing. And he, he couldn't stop yeah. him. Uh, and that is a triumph of... Uh, I said before, you know, of, of, of talent over adversity, you know, and uh, yeah. we all have to, as much as he infuriated me in times, Andy, sure. I have to I'll always be eternally grateful to him for keeping the band supplied with the most important thing, which is the raw material, yeah. the creative, uh, amazing. The, 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 the original material that we all thrived on. Yeah. Well, um, I just want you to know, Dave, that I love you very much, and I'm so grateful for the music that you've put in to this world You've made so many people's life better, including mine. And well, thank you, John. So greatly, it's so true. And I'm so grateful that you talked to me and gave me the opportunity to hear your story, tell you how much you matter to me, and uh, hopefully share it with the world. So thank you so much for your time. Well, thank your you, legend. John. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure's all mine, and um, I shall continue to keep tabs on your site and well, listen you. to more stories. Because I mean, you're thank actually. You. Without having to, uh, without being too smarmy or anything, you are a great uh, interviewer. You know how to oh, press the right you. buttons and get the stories out, and you you really keep the conversation going. There's never any. Uh, it's just it's just a, a pleasure yeah. to talk to you, and uh, I oh, wish you all the you. best with the with the hustle. I think it's a, a great idea. There you have it, Dave Gregory. Wasn't that interesting? I've been an XTC fan for 30 years, and I didn't know most of that. I could not believe how open he was. Thank you so much, Dave, for talking to me. I loved that conversation. I don't know how a fan of XTC could not appreciate everything that was in that. I loved it. And if you've never paid that much attention to XTC or maybe have some of their stuff but not all, I hope it rekindled an interest in that band. They were so great. I'm not the world's biggest progressive rock fan, but uh, Big Big Train is worth your attention if you're into that kind of thing. There's some really good stuff on there. I want to close it out with what is m probably my favorite XTC song. It's one of the millions. It's on the Oranges and Lemons album. I really love this song. It's a call and molding song. Now, next week, we are going to be hearing from a great band, American band, that... Uh, Put out a couple albums in the late 80s, early 90s, a name you might recognize, didn't get as much love as they should have, and promptly broke up. And it's unfortunate, because they were a really great band with a very unique approach to rock and roll. I think you'll like it. Now, the business, as always, huge thanks to my bro, right-hand man, Jan the Man Makiewicz. Thank you for everything you do, buddy. I'm so grateful for you. And everybody, uh, find us on Facebook. You can like the page. You can send us a message on there. You can email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Send me a note if there's a band out there or an artist you love that you haven't heard from for a while. And we'll see if we can get them on the show. And then if you have not done it already, please go into iTunes and subscribe and write us a quick review. In fact, I added some button to our Facebook page. I just thought of this. I didn't even know really what I was doing. I still don't know. But it's some button where people who are on the page can can uh, rate, rate us, give us a rating. I don't know. You're welcome to go on there and do that too. It's not like that helps searches or anything, but it's good to know if we're doing a good job, I guess. Anyway, 
Thanks to everybody for all that you do. I'm so grateful for you. We'll see you all next Tuesday.